if you're looking for something, the perfect gift for a friend or for yourself, I recommend, maybe you can recommend it because it sounds really self-serving and narcissistic when I recommend it. Um, the wonderful oral history of Star Trek, uh, the 50-year well, mission. Would that be the 50-year mission? Uh, volume one be. and two? Volume one. Now, I want to make an important distinction. Volume one, available now in paperback. Volume two, only in hardcover still. Right. So, But you can get the audio version, get the digital version. You can get them all. Because maybe them you all. want them get all. Get all of them. You know, because that would be ideal. I, I would prefer <laughs> you get them all. Because I had my, my druthers, as they say. And then, of course, also our other books, which are worth checking out. Nobody Does It Better, also available in hardcover and now in paperback. That's about uh, James Bond, isn't it? How'd you guess? I just it's about James Bond. Because nobody Indeed. does it better. That's why. It's a great book about James Bond. So as you get ready for the inevitable release of uh, No Time to Die sometime in the next decade. There's no time um, to release. <laughs> you want to pick up No Time to Die. Again, also available on digital audio and in hardcover and paperback from, uh, from Tor Forge. And uh, if you want to do a deeper dive, check out uh, So So Say We All, our oral history of both Battlestar Galactica series, which is only available in hardcover. And I don't believe there's an audio book. I just think a digital. I'm not sure why they didn't do an audio book. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe we can I'll, do something about that. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll just record <laughs> our own and we'll, we'll show them. So uh, anyway, uh, if you're thinking about the holidays and wondering what to get, please uh, check out uh, my books uh, with Ed Gross. The 50-Year Mission, Volume 1 and 2, So Say We All, An Oral History of Battlestar Galactica, and most recently, Nobody Does It Better, A Complete Oral History of the James Bond Films and Spy Mania. Ed Gross will thank you. Hey, Darren, have you been watching us on uh, the Electric Now app? I have. I haven't recently because I, I, I watch you pretty much every week when we're doing these things. But Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's you know what I love about it's, the Electric Now app? It's better it's on so video. It's so easy to use. It's, it's, it's better really on video. Easy. Download the it. app and you watch us. That's all there is to it. It's so and, simple. And a lot of other cool stuff too. You go to the app store. It says electric now. You download it. And then it. Press, in the United States. Press the button and there it is. There it is. And you can choose. You can bookmark it. There's plenty of other movies and TV show to enjoy. And episodes of all your favorite electric surge podcasts. So why wait? Download the electric now app and start enjoying us anytime. Welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. As always, I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and joining me is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. Uh, we are going to pick right back up in our Wonder Woman conversation from when we left off before with our guests, Clark Wolf, Amy Dallin, and Hector Navarro. Yeah, so as we kind of talked about before, uh, well, Tribal Combat, obviously, uh, Hippolyta lets Diana go, but it was also like, you could never come back. Uh, they, I guess we decided they repaired the plane or something. They get in Steve's plane, fly back. Basically, he pops back up in his mission, you know, with his Howling Commando-like buddies who are, I had their names here, Ben Sully, who's our one female pilot again, and Griffin, um, they're resuming the mission he'd been on, which was delivering supplies to refugees in Albania. They land, they meet with like their contact, who's a guy named Groshnak, who's some kind of warlord like local guy who they had been working on, but turns on them. And he's like, I'm gonna take all the supplies and keep them for myself. Ben, I'm gonna take your plane. Diana emerges, even though they told her to like hide in the tent and she won't stand the injustice, and gets in a big fight with them. Um, again, feels kind of very weedy just in how it's like handled, which is she gets shot in the chest and is like injured and like pulls out the bullet and is like looking at it. And even though she's like bleeding all over the place, she's like super pissed off at Groshnak for shooting her. And he's just like, are you people insane? And then just like hard passes out. Um, and then we cut back now to Gateway City. I think this is maybe the first time we're seeing it in this script. We again, kind of like the last script, have sort of an evil corporation. This one's called Spearhead. 
and the CEO is a woman named Callis. I loved her. Is she she's not a character from the comics, is she? My knowledge is limited, but I did not recognize her. Uh, What's her first name? Arabella. Sorry, go on. Oh, uh, I also realized they skipped over a fun scene too, uh, which seems like it would have been a fun scene uh, to imagine in its execution, which is we go into the sewers and there's like a reporter who's getting shown around by a homeless guy to like look at some specific piece of artwork. And she, he leads her to this like big hole underground and the mosaic is like a picture of St. George fighting the dragon and you kind of she's like oh I hear like a train coming but you realize that there's like something gigantic at the bottom of this pit and then a uh, bad guy named Strife who's like a god is that a character a god from the comics too? Strife is real yeah Uh, that's different versions of like Strife comes from mythology and has been interpreted differently in the comics so they he could be borrowing from the comics or he could be just borrowing straight from mythology in the same way the comics do if that makes sense yeah Um, But he appears and reveals himself and pushes Jenny into the pit and she's destroyed by whatever gigantic thing. uh, It does go out of its way to say that it happens off screen. It is (laughs) not a Jurassic World situation where we watch this poor woman just be ripped into pieces for funsies. It says we're not doing that. Um, So I realized I jumped ahead a little bit, but we cut back to the tent where Diana's like, or Steve, everyone's like worried about her, but then Diana was just fine and we get kind of a joke. Uh, and he's like, oh my God, you're healed. And she's like, yes, after hours, it's degrading <laughs> to be felled by a tiny piece of metal. I didn't know something could hurt so much, which is something Hippolyta had kind of warned her about leaving, which is like, you may not be as powerful in the outside world and kind of this element. Um, this is, I get you're kind of saying with the Princess Leia stuff, Clark, um, this one, like if in the previous one, it was about her having this like rage issue. This does have a little bit more of the idea that she's like kind of an entitled princess who thinks she can just achieve whatever she wants. So this is a little bit about her getting here and being like humbled somewhat by power limitations and just her own attitude and such. Uh, but do you want, Clark, do you want to talk a little bit about Callus, uh, you said you liked that character. Yeah, I just thought she was a, I just liked her. I thought she was an interesting, you know, she's a corporate warlord, essentially, right? I mean, or she's a weapons, she deals in weapons. Yeah, she has no superpowers. She's just no. a normal mortal. Yeah, and she's just a corporate, like, baddie. And she worships at, like, the altar of, it, it was like, there were a couple of um, moments in this script where they describe, like, the the ancient spaces or, like, the boardroom that's kind of like the control room in Apollo 13. And it gave me major Cabin in the Woods vibes, mm-hmm. um, which I which I love. I mean, like, you know, I... Uh, well, I think maybe uh, a kind of example you're talking about, just to give a specific detail, yeah. is kind of, in the same way as Ares talking to the, like, board of executives or whatever is we have her sort of barking orders at executives and other kind of paramilitary operatives um and then at some point she's like all right i'm gonna go pray and she like opens a secret passage to like a prayer chamber where there's a big statue to Ares, who i don't think this is spoiling in the head it's like Ares is like a presence in the movie but we never really see the character it's more the idea that He's the god off in the other world, and Strife is kind of the the super-powered emissary of Ares, and Callus has built up this whole company spearhead praying to him. But that felt like a very weedy. A lot of this very much feels, including the scene we're going to read later, so, like stuff that would have happened on Angel. This is just yeah. what it made me think of the idea of this like executive barking orders and then opening a door to this like ancient prayer room she just has on the top floor of her big well, skyscraper. And also she, but the philosophical message of like, and it is similar to in the Caligrita script with Ares being like a corporate dude essentially um, and also being a god of war is that she doesn't care. Like she is in the business of death. She's in mm. the business of war and that's her thing and I just I you know because we we've seen that character it's isn't it's kind of like Jeff Bridges and Iron Man or whatever except yeah. this time it's a lady and I just I don't know I thought she was cool like I, I, she was I, cool. 
I think if the rumors are correct, we're going to see another version of that character played by Christian Bale in Thor four. So Ooh, it's, cool. they're going to keep, they're going to keep using that same sort of, you know, yeah, it's cool, but it would have been pretty cool to see a woman in that role for sure. And so spearhead basically, uh, again, kind of summarizing stuff. We start, they keep giving us glimpses of throughout the movie, that big creature that was like at the bottom of the pit is sort of like, it's interesting the way Whedon writes the descriptions of it because it's a big machine called the Chimera who throughout the movie, they're just referring to Chimera, which is of course a mythological creature. Um, And I can read the description of it later when we get to, but basically the idea that it is just this big machine that essentially functions like it's a big kaiju that's going to destroy the whole world. But that's what Spearhead and Callus and Strife are working on. Uh, And throughout these scenes, we've kind of been talking about, we also get Diana's first big like superhero moment on earth, which is where she goes to face off with that guy, Groshnak who shot her and had stolen all the supplies for the refugee uh, and kicks the shit out of all of them. Uh, Let's see. We're we're now we're still. I'm excited to get to this Baca scene because it's so just weed me. And I have to tell you, spoilies, <laughs> spoiler alert. I wrote this down. I love this scene. I love <laughs> this scene. I, I'm not being funny. I straight up am like, God, I love this. This is. <laughs> um. So then, but after this, all this stuff in Albania, they're going back to Gateway City. This whole thing of Steve being like, I'm not sure I like you wandering Gateway all by yourself. I'll be fine. Uh, no, I'm kind of afraid for the city. And uh, we get like a whole montage of her walking around the street. Again, witnessing all the horrible stuff. We get a few of the obligatory jokes of like a sexist guy calling her a stupid bitch and her destroying his car. Um, she's again, stuff on TV and seeing war around the world. We kind of create this subplot where she learns about a drug dealer named Clean, like Mr. Clean. I did Clean, not like this. Spelled differently. <laughs> but when she attacks a drug dealer and is basically like, you know, tell me who you work for. And he's like, it's clean. And she's like, who's clean? And I was sort of amazed reading the script then when that did not lead to her meeting Clean. I was like, oh, is this going to be like a whole subplot of her tracking down uh, this Clean. one specific <laughs> drug dealer? Um and then a, a big action set piece where she's inside a building trying to find this clean guy and the building starts crumbling around her because of things that Callus and Strife are doing. And she gets in a big battle with Strife uh, and kind of his, I guess you'd say, special effects gimmick is he's got like a teleporting cloak, uh, which they do some fun stuff with, including a big payoff at the climax, which I won't spoil yet. But, you know, where he'll kind of teleport around during fights, a little like Nightcrawler. Um, not quite that often. But uh, let's see. The building collapses. Actually, that is a fun bit where he teleports her away from the collapsing building, and they have like a convo on some like mountaintop. And then at the end of the scene, when she's trying to attack him, he just teleports her back into the building, like right as it's falling over as a big fuck you, basically. <laughs> uh, they have kind of a fun, typically Joss Whedon relationship too, of their he- villain hero banter. Um, let's see here. Uh, did anybody else have any thoughts? I don't want to skip past anything anyone was thinking about during this section. No, well, my I- stuff is later. Okay. Yes. Okay, great. I was like, check your notes. I got my notes. I got them right here. Got right. Right here. You didn't have anything we skipped over, did you? Mm-mm. Okay. Um, yeah, so now we get into building up to the scene. We keep hinting at, <laughs> and I'm sure we're we're overhyping. Again, I was more just like once the scene started, I'm like, oh my god, this is so like a scene from Angel. This is so just we need it's insane. But she's finally figured out where this clean guy is, and her and Trevor and his buddies are going to basically a nightclub, uh, which is called Olympus. Uh, oh wait, I'm so sorry. Oh, I do have yeah, something. yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Oh, no, I thought it was interesting um, when the Justice League movie came out that everyone was pointing out that the scene when Aquaman is like revealing like his inner emotions and fears and then he realized that he's sitting on the lasso and pulls it out. Everyone said that must be a, a Josh Whedon scene. I thought that was after she fights Strife, um, Steve is like talking to her and he's like, I don't 
he's, he's like, I hate the fact that I'm so attracted to you. Just touching you is overwhelming. And I keep hoping you'll turn around so I can see you more naked. And then he realizes he's sitting on the lasso. I thought that was interesting that <laughs> it eventually, it eventually did get used in uh, the justice league, that scene. It was also that bit's also used in the animated Wonder Woman film from 2009. They're in oh, the it kit. was, wow. and uh, <laughs> Steve Trevor's just starts admitting like he puts on this bravado because he's really insecure about stuff and he hasn't been in like a serious relationship in years or whatever. And it really, he really just opens up and he's very vulnerable. And then it's because his foot, you know, in the cockpit, Diana's in the front and he's in the back. His foot is like gotten a little wrapped around her lasso. So he's like, damn it, that thing is dangerous. Like, <laughs> it's, it's a funny bit. It's a funny the, bit, depending the, on what you do with it. Accidental honesty from being around the, the lasso is sort of a, a classic go-to move uh, since they introduced the honesty portion of the, the lasso, depending on the tone of the Wonder Woman story. It, mm-hmm. it just, you know, the, the particular thing that gets revealed, uh, you know, writer's choice on what makes the most interesting uh <laughs> banter to come out of it Mm -hmm. um yeah no i'm glad you brought that up because that's also that line in that refers to the fact that they kind of keep having these moments where she just like starts changing in front of him kind of in the shadows and he's being modest about it which they nicely inverted in the movie that did get made that it's uh chris pine yeah totally naked um another very joss whedon-y thing when they get in the club uh, she goes to face off against Clean, but instead of a big fight, she just like gives him this like super long, intentionally lame speech about how she believes in him and that he can do better and he should be a pillar of his community. Uh, and then when he gets back in, yeah, Steve's like, "That's it, the crime lo- wait, the crime lord of the whole everything." He gets a pep talk, um, but then uh, somebody comes up and says that. Uh, someone, the man upstairs bought, wanted to buy Diana a drink and she kind of like has a weird knowing reaction to it and downs the drink and she's like, I'm going to go dance. Uh, and she goes this, up and dances by herself. That was so, okay, I have to say, obviously the internet hates that scene. When I got to that scene, I was like, this is stupid. Okay. And then that was as far as I went with it. So I just want to throw that out there that like, you look at this, I read the scene and I'm like, that's dumb. <laughs> Here's even a little bit of blocking. Uh, then she moves her leg back and turns fluidly, a curve rippling up her body as she folds into a dance that is sensual, ethereal, and wicked sexy. This is not a warrior march, though it remains idiosyncratic. It is neither out of place nor unnoticed in the crowd floor. Uh, I mean, this is a perfect example of something where I feel like when I was watching this movie, I'd be like, oh, that seems funny. But I also want to understand, understand why people were reading it and just be like, really? Wonder Woman has to do like a sexy, a sexy Jamie Lee Curtis and yeah, yeah, yeah. dance for everybody. Um, but I'd still say in typical Joss Whedon fashion, he, he manages to get his cake and eat it too because she does this dumb sexy dance that's just there so we can watch whatever actress that was, sexy dance. But then it turns out she was doing it for a reason and she did, her dance is somehow magical and she like freezes time. And it's, I think it would have been a fun moment visually though where everyone else in the club is like frozen and she looks back at like, I think it's the guy who gave her the drink who's standing next to a, like roped off VIP room and he's still moving and like opens the like, basically like you can go upstairs now. So then she walks upstairs and everyone else is still like frozen during all this. Uh, And this is gonna be the scene we read. Um, This is the thing that I love. uh, This is Hector and Clark, if you're ready, Hector. Um, It's interior green room later. Diana enters a huge, lush, but quirky private room, colorful and retro, like its, o- like its occupant, who stands with his back to her at a bar, mixing a drink. As she crosses towards him, the camera rises to show that the floor is on the other side of a one-way mirror. The dance, so basically, the floor is a window, and you can see the dance floor below. Uh, Diana almost appears to be midair as she walks over the writhing crowd. I like that you knew you needed to dance for me. And it was worthy. I mean, for a girl who's never seen Soul Train even once, you can bend a bit. It's pleasing to me, but not merely is not nearly as pleasing as the way you handled clean. Fingers on triggers and you throw down with a badass. Motivational speech. Not gonna do squat, but heavy, heavy kudos. A good surprise is really hard to come by. 
as he turns holding a drink with an umbrella, or he turns holding a drink with an umbrella. He's funky, unassuming, cute in the sheepish kind of way. For all the goof, though, he's, there's steel in his smile. This guy is a god. And you were a surprise. Dionysus. Bacchus. The Romans, <laughs> they came and changed all our names. How random is that? A lot of, a lot of the gods wouldn't go for it, but I like Bacchus. It swings. I was told the gods were dead. Yeah, well, most of them are. Athena? Deader than Elvis. Who's a guy that's dead after your time? <laughs> a, a god exists because people believe in it. Worship is a thing. Uh, goddess of wisdom, not hanging in, not today. But nobody ever stopped worshiping wine. Or war. Ares, yeah. It's his world now. I mean, Aphrodite's still looking good, but not for publication. I think she's had some work done. Also, she's out of her mind. This whole world is mad. You're not wrong. And you do nothing? Worse, I've seen what you provide to people out there, and it's a good lot stronger than wine. They're crippled by lusts and addiction, and you use all of your power to do what? To watch and laugh? You're a feisty little filly. Let me ask you this. Oh, he picks her up with one hand and slams her onto the bar. Doesn't even spill his drink. Are you a god? Because I am, and I'm used to being addressed like one. Why am I here? He lets her up. Aries, he's not playing by the rules. He strolls away as she rises, coughing. He's casual again. What rules does a god have? Why does nobody get this? I'm a god, yeah, but I'm also only a god. Wine and revelry. It can bring men together or tear them apart. I can't choose which. Humans choose. More and more, they choose blindness. They choose hate and isolation. It's major mojo for Ares, and he wants more where that came from. Uh, and by the way, while reading this the whole time, much like I was assuming that uh, Whedon wanted Nathan Fillion for Trevor, I was like, I feel like he wanted Alan Tudyk for this, is what I just <laughs> oh, kept of course. Yeah, oh, totally. my brain. That's a great call. Uh, oh, then I'll do Alan Tudyk. Okay, great. I'll do my Tudyk. Here we go. Uh, Clark? Okay. Uh, there's war everywhere. Why would Aries need more? Why do billionaires cheat on their taxes? It's pretty good. Mr. Nobody. <laughs> He gives her a shrug. It's answer enough. And you can't stop him because it's against the rules? Back in the day, Zeus wanted to manifest in animal form for some hot girl on swan action. It wasn't that big a deal. It's trickier now. I come down to party, but that's it. Ares doesn't come at all. But he has strife. Heard you two been mixing it up. Pretty intense. Guy's not a featherweight. Then where is he? Why doesn't he challenge me? Is that what your little crime-busting spree is all about? Riling strife? You gotta be thinking bigger than that. Tell me why you brought me here. To, oh, tell me what you brought me here. <laughs> tell me what you brought me here to tell me. <laughs> you are so much like your mom. Have you heard the name Spearhead? You've seen the building tall, shaped like some guy seriously overcompensating? Well, that's Ares's base. Technology, which means weapons, the best and latest, and that's just their day job. Their mission is misery. Ares is stepping over the line, and I think Gateway is going to be his footprint. Why do you care? I lost New Orleans. Think about that. Besides, I like this place, just like you do. It's lively. Spearhead, what am I looking for? Arabella Callas. She runs the joint. Direct conduit to Ares. She's like Medea without maternal warmth. You want to get near her. Might need a more subtle look. Your boyfriend can help you with that. I don't have a who? The pilot, Trevor. Don't even bother. Diana, what's happening between you two isn't chance. It was predicted by the oracles millennia ago. It was? <clears throat> no. But check out your face when I said it. There's something going on. He's a good man. He's beneath you. She stiffens at the insult. No, I mean literally. He's there. She points down. She looks. Angle, Steve, seen from above, through the floor, searching through the crowd for her. I like the guy. Kind of crabby, but he's in there. He's fighting. Could be useful, or he could seriously get in the way. She looks at Bacchus. He's clearly, clearly serious now. War has casualties. Gotta know what you're willing to trade. Thanks. Thanks for the drink. She goes as the camera pulls away from Bacchus. Wasn't that cool? I'm working on another one that makes everything intensely sort of plaid. I'll hook you up. <laughs> and scene. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, that's, again, that's an the, Alan Tudyk scene for the, sure. That's Alan Tudyk. The most Whedon-y script or scene in the whole thing, which again, depending on one's feeling on his style is either the most annoying scene <laughs> in the whole movie or the scene where you're like, yay. Um, <laughs> if you're me, well, you're very happy. <laughs> it's clearly a thoughtful take on mythology in the modern world. Like there's a lot to in that scene that you're sort of like, yes, this is a person who doesn't think it's a stupid idea for gods to be running around in their movie. And I like that in a Wonder Woman movie. Yep. Uh, right. That that there, he makes the line, the, the or it's the conversation about Athena, wine, war, like the gods that have survived because people mm-hmm. continue mm-hmm. to believe in them or whatever. And of course, it's it's drugs and wine. It's you know, it's Dionysus and it's war. And I really like that. The other thing I wanted to point out was um, when I read, I didn't think of Alan Tudyk. I don't know how I did it, um, but that's perfect. But um, this did remind me too, just the vibe or the style. It's very different, but it's kind of in the same family is um, the way that Lucifer is portrayed in Constantine. Mm-hmm. It's just that kind of out of left field thing that shouldn't work. But I feel like if done right, it's the perfect approach to that character, both visually and attitude wise. Um, I like that he's holding a drink with a little umbrella in it and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I also want to point out that the script makes a joke about references, pop culture references. And in Avengers, Joss Whedon did the exact same joke with the flying monkeys and then Captain America being like, I understood that reference, but he didn't get anything else. Everything else had to be explained to him. You know, Stephen Hawking, a really smart guy. Like, he it seems very he has a lot of fun with that concept, like knowing what the character's background is and what they would or wouldn't know. And then using those references to make the audience laugh or to get us to understand something and then doubling down on those and be like, you have to explain who Stephen Hawking is to Captain America. You have to explain who Elvis is to Wonder Woman. That's funny, right? It is, yeah, but he, he does it again in Avengers. <laughs> and also, if you hear the, if you hear his rhythm, if you know like his work, at, like like as a fan, I know his work. The deader than Elvis, who's a guy that's dead? Like you know, it's just yeah. like yeah. that either works for you or it doesn't, and I yeah. it works for me. That line made yeah. me laugh when I read the script this morning. Or again, thinking of Tudyk delivery, where he's saying uh, that he's beneath you. Like no, I mean beneath you, and like points yeah. down, you can see through the floor. Which again, uh, reading this now having you know lived through 20 years of Joss whedon stuff, it doesn't feel as fresh as right. it would have in 2006, but that's when the script was written. And also for the record, sorry, one last thing I want to point out, like I'm glad you brought up the Avengers, Hector, because honestly, like I was thinking back to the first Avengers movie and, and what a feat that is and yep. was. And, yep. and he, I would argue, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe up until that point was the person to yep. pull that off. And- yep. Um, but to your point, Josh, like the Marvel isms that we've gotten used to since 2008 with Iron Man, that attitude, and specifically pointing out, not forgetting Incredible Hulk, but I'm specifically saying that Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, as far as I'm concerned, is the beginning of the Marvel universe as we know it now. Um, but those quippy lines, those one liners, whatever, like the Avengers and the MCU, it's so heavily influenced by yeah. the Joss Whedon of it all. Yeah, I mean, the absolutely. fact that Shane Black and Joss Whedon, because Shane Black did a lot of uncredited punch-ups on the first right. Iron Man, it's like they've lent that whole universe. It's just very quippy in the way totally. that TV, mm-hmm. especially Joss Whedon TV was at the time. Um, kind of glassing over some stuff after that. They go break into Spearhead and Magic Lasso. Callus to like learn more stuff. I mean, the, basically the... The villain plan is they're just going to use the chimera to like sink cities, that building that she was in that was like getting sunk down. They're going to do that to all of Gateway, start there first, do it around the world. Um, The next kind of like relevant thing, jumping to something, give you guys opinion, I definitely feel uh, did not work for me is when Diana and Steve get in a big fight and he gives her kind of like a, a telling to which is so much of it, I'm trying to just narrow it down. Uh, but it's basically like, you'll make your show, fight your fight, people will love you for it, and then you'll need, <laughs> and then you'll, uh, and that they'll need you for it, and it'll start to grate and bore you, and one day you'll just go back home to paradise. Um, again, not really Princess Leia, but the idea that he's just kind of being like, you're doing for this for the wrong reasons, and you're shitty. I... It, was, it was an odd take for what's supposed to be our likable I don't think Nathan Fillion could have saved 
this scene. He's mean to her in this scene. He he's mean to her. I Sorry, even I just found that it was, you're not a hero, Diana. You're a fucking tourist. That was the yeah. specific meaning. Sorry. I, I wrote down, um, we don't need it, or something to the effect of, not, we don't need a demigod sent on high, to, sent from on high to lecture us about potential. Um, you know, that that is um, a really interesting take on the holier than thou kind of thing that you can get wrapped up in, especially in the DC universe, I will say. Like, What's everybody's biggest gripe with Superman? Oh, he's a Boy Scout. Like, he's not interesting. He's boring, whatever. Like, I don't agree with that. Like, if you know anything about me, you know I don't agree with that. But I think it's also could be true about Wonder Woman. But yeah, he's mean to her in this scene. And um, it's aggressive. And it's also I also unearned is the thing. Yes. Like, I didn't feel like anything that Diana was doing in the movie, like that, I feel like that's kind of a classic moment for a hero who has like a really strong arc of being a not so good person. To be a good person is you inevitably have the scene where the second lead character, whether it's a man or a woman is like, you know what your problem is? That kind of classic moment. It was just, it comes really out of nowhere Right, but if here. there's not a pattern to suddenly become clear in that moment, then you're like, what like, is this about? It's Trevor, too much. It's too much. down. Yeah. Um, Again, kind and of I do glossing. find it kind oh, of good. Go sorry, like that, that. I've now been reminded of that that scene, and it, you know, for someone who's kind of a stickler about like putting across the Wonder Woman character, it would just be a very strange take to put in our intro to her, where it's not like movie three, she's losing touch with humanity, and somebody calls her on the carpet. It's mm -hmm. like the very first movie, and someone's like, "You're not taking this seriously," and it's weird because she is a character defined by the choice to leave and take mm -hmm. on these challenges. So then to be like, well, you're a jerk for doing that. It is, it, is strange. Which they it reminds spend nicely. Me of, oh, sorry. It, I was going to say, it reminds me of a moment in the first Captain America film before skinny Steve Rogers, Chris Evans goes and becomes Captain America or starts training. His friend Bucky calls him out and he goes, yeah, and you got nothing to prove, right? When this little guy wants to keep signing up for the army after he keeps getting mm -hmm. rejected because he's mm -hmm. too small or weak or frail or whatever. And I remember seeing that moment in that film and going, well, of course he doesn't have anything to prove. He's Steve Rogers. He's Captain America. I know he's a good dude, but I was relying on my comic book knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was an interesting question to pose that ultimately the movie doesn't really explore, but I think the movie does prove definitively he's a good person. And he, you know, the very next scene, he's talking to Stanley Tucci being like, I don't want to kill anybody. I just don't like bullies. I don't care where they're from, which is the perfect Captain America thing to say. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that it's in interesting to, to call out Wonder Woman in that regard to be like, are you doing this for the right reason? Did you just want to get away from home? Like, are you, you know, is, are you just a young person who felt trapped, which so many people ha can feel and, and that's relatable. But the question is, would the movie then be able to get across Diana as a selfless hero that everybody would have fallen in love with and been like, no, she's one of the greatest. She's up there with Superman. This is awesome. And then, you know, maybe you can get into more of the murkier gray stuff with the Wonder Woman sequels. Again, kind of like Captain America did, where then in the sequels, he's like, well, now I can't trust the government. Now I can't do this and this. So, yeah, I think it it, it all depends on how the, the whole movie would have uh, come across. But um, that moment you guys are describing reminds me of that. Steve Steve Rogers moment, which is interesting. It could have maybe worked with some rewrites, but I was gonna say, building off what Amy was saying, that I think the movie that did get made does well is that they chose to make her flaw basically being that she's like too driven to a point where she's almost like deranged and everyone's just like humoring her of like, yeah, yeah, sure, I bet Aries is out there somewhere. We'll we'll go find him. Um <laughs> I, they, I think accomplishes what she was saying of being like is this how you really want to lead off with this character? I think it's a good way to give her this flaw and that she is wrong in a way that she has to reckon with when she kills uh, Houston at the end and it isn't Aries. Mm. Uh, anyway, but um, New Movie did it right, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's say glossing over some of this stuff is she battles again with Strife. Strife uh, binds her wrists because got to keep doing that, leaves her in the jungle. And this is supposed to kind of be the payoff for that bit, the Trevor scene of chewing her out that we just got into, which is the idea of what does she do now that she doesn't have any powers, which is kind of classic hero thing of like, can you still be a hero when you're not the most 
the strongest person in the room. Um, it does kind of go in strange directions. She stumbles through a village where like local warlords. She's like, oh, she's in jungle in South America somewhere. Finds a village. Some like drug dealer warlord people attack the village, grab her and a bunch of other peasants, throw them in like a cage. And then there's this kind of strip, a little bit of a deus ex machina here where she realizes there's like a little girl in the pit with them who actually is, I think, Hippolyta, if I'm remembering correctly. I think or maybe Hippolyta. Athena. It's a little bit of the same thing with Artemis from the previous script, though. I think it's Hippolyta and the idea she's been like, even though I told you you could never come back, I've been secretly monitoring everything you've been doing to keep you safe. Um, and even though Diana does kind of use her own just normal human strength willpower to get out of the cage, then when they like get are free and they get up to the top of this cliff, cliff Hippolyta's like, oh, and by the way, I left you a bunch of stuff, uh, <laughs> some weapons and her invisible jet is just there. That was, what, that was a little too convenient for me. And I, I guess if they'd done other drafts, I presume Wed would have figured out a way for that to happen in a way that wasn't her mom just being like, "Yay, good job! Here's a bunch, here's a, <laughs> a pile of things." Um, and so now we have a whole invisible jet sequence, which, uh, and you guys can say how it is in the comic, but in this, it's like a jet where, almost like, uh, in the Nolan Batman movie, where the motorcycle pops out of you know, the Batmobile and he's like lying on top of it on his stomach. It's like that where she's lying on her stomach in the invisible jet. So when you're outside of the jet, it kind of looks like she's flying. And I'm like, I see what you did there, Wendy. <laughs> I, how is it in the comics? She's just like sitting in a chair, right? Uh, or has that evolved over time? Did she even still have an invisible jet? That's another silly- I feel like silly... the sitting in the chair visual that we all think of is like a super friends thing. Um, in, I think- What's her usual posture when you see her going through the sky? It's probably just been different ways. Um, also, I normally would think it would just be a cloaked jet. It's how you imagine you'd want to work, not that she's just sitting there where you can still see her and in theory, in theory shoot missiles at her. Um, it makes the invisibility of the jet itself a little pointless. <laughs> Uh, I think opinion. most often it's probably cloaked, but I, I don't let me speak with authority on this one because I just straight up can't remember. Okay. Um, but now we're into kind of the end game, big battle stuff. The chimera has broken out and we see that it's really just a big machine that kind of like looks like, because uh, a chimera, for people who don't know, was a beast that was made up of like different kinds of beasts. Uh, so this thing similarly kind of looks like it has different animal parts, but in big machine things. We also have a big fake out with clean where it turns out that Diana's pep talk she gave him did work and he's become a good guy now and helped trick uh, Callus to help Steve and the rest of his buddies. I, I did not like this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would this, say the whole clean this is so weird. subplot. Not Scrap great. it. We uh, don't need cut it. it. Cut it. Cut that it. That would have been cut my it. note. Um, <laughs> Steve and Clean <laughs> have to help like empty out the city uh, so because it's like getting sucked down, blah, blah, blah. Mostly just a bunch of battle, battle, battle. Um, if anyone remembers anything specifically cool, feel free to shout it out. I'm just kind of skimming over my notes. That's basically it. It just, you know, they win. Um, they wind back on the island. Oh, there's also a bit where her and Steve finally kiss and we get a sort of, again, obvious joke in this vein of like your whole life on an isolated, on an island with only women and you can kiss like that. Mm. It's an interesting story. It can't possibly be as good as the one I'm making up right now. Are you sure about that? <laughs> that part's not great either. That part's not great. It's not great. Uh, uh, it kind of yeah, ends on a dorky joke where uh steve's pointing out that she can't fly and she's like can't because throughout the movie there was kind of a runner of her using the word can't blah 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 a soft ending but i guess it's implying she'll be able to fly and she can't really fly right it's like that she can ride like ride sometimes tiny yes, air particles no. or yeah. something it's inconsistent the but answer like, is sometimes yes sometimes, sometimes no. according no. to the new patty jenkins movie it looks like no 
in this new universe, but, but also maybe because when she was fighting like Ares at the end of that movie and she like exploded him, she was kind of floating in the air and then came down slowly. So I'm like, okay, if that's not flying, I don't know what is, but she's still like falling with style. Yeah. She leaps everywhere. And I think, I think that the reason wonder woman can fly in a lot of comic book versions is because Superman can fly, Hmm. which is my reasoning. And I am not mad at it because I think that if wonder woman really is, the uh, the character who the, it comes the closest to being an equivalent to the character of Superman and everything that Superman can do and what Superman stands for and represents and especially how young boys would look up to Superman then Wonder Woman should be able to do everything Superman can do and some different stuff but like you know across the board so that's why I think in the comic books they're just like well just have Wonder Woman be able to fly too and not do the thing where Superman in the comics and originally was only able to leap miles at a time or like the Hulk or whatever, like leap tall buildings in a single bound. Don't leave that just for Wonder Woman. Now, if Superman was able to evolve past that, who cares? Whatever. It's fantastical. Let her fly. All right. Well, that was the Joss <laughs> Whedon script uh, for better or worse. In whatever one's subjective read worse. is on it. Uh, and then <laughs> what happens, Steve? All right. So, oh yeah, by the way, I was wrong. Joss, Joss Whedon didn't write just one script. He wrote two, and I'm not sure which one is the one we just read. But um, so that was the one we just discussed was in August 2006. Uh, six months later, we fast forward to 2007, and this is when the spec script comes in. Warner Lasso's Wonder spec script, and it said uh, Joel Silver is quietly in the process of buying a Wonder Woman spec script from newcomers Matthew Jennison and Brent Strickland. And they were saying, and Joel Silver was pretty much saying, we're taking the spec script off the market. It aims to protect itself against the possibility that any similarities between the scripts could fodder for future legal action. And so, well, maybe the, just pause there. I, I don't want to talk about. I've read this script, but I want to talk about it because I kind of want to get these guys on the podcast in the future. Since it's an interesting story of these guys, they no one hired them to write a Wonder Woman script. They're like, mm-hmm. let's just write a Wonder Woman script uh, to make a name for ourselves. And it basically worked in the sense that Joel Silver bought it, even though he had no intention of making it. Also interesting because that one was a period piece that took place in World War II, not one. It's really nothing like the finished movie it has kind of this almost little mermaid like quality to it where they reveal that diana like the the amazons are able to like see the human world so from Mm. afar she's kind of just been watching humanity evolve over time uh, and thinks it's interesting and in this one they're um they want to send an Amazon out into the real world because they'd already sent one out named Galena and she never came back trying to find out what happened to her. And this kind of involves Pandora's box as the big MacGuffin. Oh yeah. I think I remember the Pandora's box bit for some reason. Uh, So hopefully we can get those guys and actually talk about that. But uh, Steve continue. And uh, so that was on February 1st, 2007. The next day, February 2nd, Whedon exits the project and he went on Whedonesque.com and he said, I am no longer slated to make Wonder Woman. I had to take on the film well, nobody liked. And let me stress first, everybody at the studio was cool and professional. We just saw different movies. And at that price range, this is kind of, you know, what we just we just saw different movies at the price range. This is kind of a movie that hangs in that's never going to work. Um, so he what, went on. What year was Avengers? Um, um, I'm going to get to that oh, in a few seconds. I was just going to point um, out that now, just when you know, people think of him as an example of just this big, huge studio director, but he was like a yeah. TV guy and he made yeah. TV shows that hardly anyone watched too. Right. Yep. He wasn't even like, like making hit TV it was hit. Buffy was a hit because it was on the WB, which no one really watched. So it was like a hit within that tiny microcosm. I'm sure that was yeah. part of it too, of them just not having a ton of faith that this TV guy can carry this huge movie. Right. 
Yeah, and he also went on to say, like, everybody knows how long I was taking, what a struggle that script was. And although I felt good about what I was coming up with, it was never going to be a simple slam dunk. And then Joe Silver eventually came out later on in 2016 and said, I hired a young guy named Joss Whedon and who no one was aware of. He wrote a great script. <laughs> no one was aware of. Mm-hmm. He created Buffy. No one had heard of this guy. <laughs> yeah. Who now? So, and I don't know what the movie is going to be, was going to be like, or, but he wrote a great script for whatever reason, the studio. I just think it's funny. He was like one of the top paid script doctors throughout the 90s. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Alien Resurrection. I discovered Joss Whedon after Buffy and Firefly (laughs) and writing on X-Men and And Toy Story. Story. Toy Story. (laughs) Yeah. For whatever reason, the studio didn't like it and it, and didn't want to do it. We were very close at one point. We were prepping a movie. I was trying to get George Miller to direct it, but Josh wrote, but Josh wrote a great script. He continues, repeats himself, and he was supposed to direct it, but they didn't see it, and it went back to the DC Comics world. Sandra Bullock was interested in doing it, but I just couldn't pull it together. And then Joss Whedon, a couple more years later, came out and said that I I was told they were very anxious to make it. I wrote a script. I rewrote the story. And by the time I had written the second script, they asked me not to. They didn't tell me to leave, but they showed me the door and how pretty it was, (laughs) which I'd like to, would I like to touch the knob and maybe swing it? He joked. And uh, he went on to say, I was dealing with them through Joel Silver, who couldn't tell me what they wanted or anything else. I was completely in the dark. So I didn't know what it was that I was giving them. I moved on. And so now in June 14th, 2007, The Avengers is announced that it's going to be made. 2007? Yeah, June 14th, 2007. So even before Iron Man came out. Yep, announced... Avengers yeah, is announced. I'm I sorry. think in July of 2007, which is a year before Iron Man came out, they already had a trailer at Comic-Con. I was there. They had a Marvel wow. Studios panel where they had trailers for Iron Man, and also they had the cast of The Incredible Hulk, and they were talking about the year before that, in 2006, they had a Marvel Studios panel as the first panel at, at San Diego Comic-Con to be like, hey, we're announcing an independent studio called Marvel Studios, and at that panel they announced that they had the rights to these characters iron man thor captain america you know we're working with hulk and so on and so forth a fan asked them in the q a well are you guys ever going to do avengers and kevin feige said then it's very easy to see if you're a comic book fan the characters that we have lined up to do individual movies could very much lead into the avengers so he was like so we're thinking about it that's something that we're considering so not surprised it and announced that so early well, I mean, I don't know if it, again, it's like, how official is that stuff when it's that early mm-hmm. in 2007 versus a year out from the first Iron Man movie coming out? But I know that as soon as Iron Man, the first weekend, they announced Iron Man 2 mm-hmm. going into production to come out two years after that. And I'm sure that Thor and Captain America were then put on the slate to be like, let's make these yep. movies to then build up for the 2012. So. That's what's strange is I don't remember them having announced Avengers because the tag scene on Iron Man hit so hard for all of us. Right. Uh, and that's the, I would have expected if to have found out and already been excited if I knew that they were making an Avengers movie a year well, before that came out. But I maybe if, I just missed it. If Steven's talking about things like trade reports and industry trades and different stuff and Marvel Studios, you know, announcing a thing is different than Samuel L. Jackson saying, I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers initiative, which is the the really only important thing because then the fans understood what that was. So (laughs) they could have very well have have put it out there or said, we're considering it or thinking about it or building towards it or looking at scripts or pitches or whatever. But it was all early stages, and that was an exciting time. It was. <laughs> I do yeah. remember what you're talking about. I think they dropped like a sequel announcement or a bunch of dates or something, a, an announcement that came right after Iron Man came out, where we yep. were like, not only was that movie good, but there's a future. Like, I yep. remember that. Like, yeah. But, yeah, apparently missed yeah. the Avengers. <laughs> well, it was like the Hollywood Reporter, and it said, on the eve of the opening of the Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, <laughs> which, which came out in 2007. Marvel Studios has begun the process of bringing another of its comics to the big screen, Mm. the elite superhero team, the Avengers. Mm. And then three months later, the Justice League is announced, (laughs) September 21st, 2007. And uh, 
George Miller's in talks to direct the Justice League and yeah, Wonder Woman, Batman, Aquaman, The Flash and Glee. Green Lantern and Martian Manhunter. But we didn't get Man of Steel until 2013. Yes. And so, yeah, so this was going to be just the Justice League uh, with George Miller, Justice yep. League Mortal, which I think we're just going to eventually talk about As when. Ju- episode. Yeah. yeah, when the Snyder Cut comes out. And they did, you know, Jessica Beale a, a week later was up for the role of Wonder Woman. Uh, I'm going to skip over some of this because we've been going for so long. <laughs> and um, eventually, no, thank you guys. You guys, uh, Thank you all for spending so much time with us. For those <laughs> at home, uh, we recorded all of these episodes all at once in one day. It's been quite the epic yeah. journey. All right. And then fast forward, November 2007, uh, Joel Silver came out and they said, they're going to make the Justice League movie and we're kind of pausing on Wonder Woman for now. Mm. We struggled with it for a while and I hope that we can solve solve it and make it one day. And then um, that same month, the writer's strike stalls production of oh, Justice yeah. League. And then another month later in January, there's no justice for Warner's. Uh, Warner Brothers disables Justice League. And then a I couple did, more. Was- was there a rumor, sorry, was there a rumor that uh, What's-Her-Face, who was one of the side characters in Fury Road, was supposed to be in contention for Wonder Woman in the George Miller Justice League? Is oh, that a she real definitely, thing? She definitely was cast as her. Um, yeah. I, I forget the actress's name, but yeah, she played the the naked woman in Mad Max Fury Road who was the trap, and then she was a part of the woman tribe that showed up and hugged. She had beautiful blue eyes. I think she's an Australian actress. She's very talented. Megan she's going to play Gale. Wonder Woman. Megan yeah, Gale. You can, I believe there's pictures of her online in the mm. costume area. Yeah, so she was eventually casted in it mm. for George Miller's Justice League. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see. Oh, oh yeah, and then, all right, so April 2008, Joel Silver ends up hiring the spec writers, Jenison and Strickland, to write a modern day Wonder Woman origin. But, um, oh, they will not depict Wonder Woman's origin, but explore Paradise Island's history. Excuse me. And um, it gets so confusing. Okay, and then <laughs> September 2008, again, they canceled Justice League. And Spider- uh, Superman is getting a darker reboot. And for Wonder Woman, we're waiting for the right script to come in, says Leonard I'm really Goldberg. glad we didn't get the dark, gritty <laughs> Wonder Woman that you know they were had lots of conversations about. Yes nope. to that. No, thank you. <laughs> and by the way, this whole time, they did not want to do a period piece. They just always wanted to keep it modern day. And so all these writers had to go through that over and over again. It's like, it's got to be modern day. It's got to be modern day over yeah. and over again. That's all these projects. And um, September 2008, uh, Leonard Goldberg said that one rumored possibility was the Wachowski brothers. But then they went off in, but I think they did Speed Racer instead. But uh, he brought them up. Now, I would and, love to see a Wachowski Sisters uh, Wonder Woman movie, just for the record, if well, they're ever interested. I love Speed Racer and I love The Matrix. I just watched Jupiter Ascending. So uh. I'm like, you know what? Maybe not. <laughs> you can't Maybe win not them all. the Wachowskis to do. You can't win them all. You know, uh, that was a swing and a miss. <laughs> I love the, great. I love the villain in that, that movie. <laughs> uh, the villain is awesome in that Eddie movie. Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> yeah, I, will, I love every time Speaking he's on of screen. I will watch him in anything, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Um, there will be, uh, all right, so yeah, so they, the Wachowskis could have been a rumor, but this producer brought them up. And and then the, he did go on to say that Megan Gale could be cast in the new Wonder Woman now mm-hmm. that the Justice League movie is dead. Mm-hmm. And the next month, um, Matt Jensen and Strickland are doing their second draft of the script. And uh, the producer went on to say, this is the same Charlie's Angels producer, Goldberg went on to say that he doesn't want to see the same old story about a pilot, Steve Trevor, crashing on an island full of Amazons. But rather, like most of us, he wants to see an updated original spin on Wonder Woman that will knock the socks off of moviegoers. So that's what all the so that's what all these writers were dealing with was this was these producers yep. and I would get that if we'd ever seen it before. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, uh, two months later, November 2008, Mick G is linked to the director's oh, role, and he was also linked to Superman for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
and Beyonce came out and said she wanted to do a superhero movie and what would be better than Wonder Woman. <laughs> and a day later, someone made up a fake poster that had Megan Fox as Wonder Woman on it. And that started the rumors of Megan Fox as Wonder Woman. And now we fast forward to 2009 and uh, there's a new producer on, Andrew Rona. Uh, I'm not sure if this Charlie's Angels guy left at this point, but it seems like now Silver Pitcher's well, hired. Silver, in. oh, so Pitcher. Silver was still involved. Silver is still involved. 2009. I couldn't remember if he still had credit on the new one, the one that got no, made. He does not. So he does not. Uh, and now that August, uh, Strickland and Jensen are still on the project, and they said their new their script is like Wonder Woman meets Raiders of the Lost Ark. We're going to fast forward to 2010. George Miller is rumored to direct Wonder Woman. And this is the craziest thing. I had no idea is that in 2000, uh, May 18, 2010, uh, Nicholas Winden Refren came out and said he always wanted to do a Wonder Woman as a feature film. And he was born to make it. And for like the next year, Nicholas Winden Refren is like is out there I mean, trying to get I the like Wonder Woman movies, movie. I like talk about casting <laughs> for your filmmakers. I do not know I would agree that he was born to make a Wonder Woman movie. Can't That's even he really... Was, this is right after he made Bronson. Uh, 2011 is that pilot you talked about earlier yep. from David yep. E. Kelly that didn't yep. get picked up. And March 2011, so they were, they're now talking about rebooting Batman and Christopher Nolan will produce them, and they will also do The Flash and Wonder Woman, which are going to spin off from a Justice League film. Yeah. Which is, and uh, two months later, The Green Lantern is released. <laughs> and that, Ju- that July referent once again comes out, and he says that he would like to have Christina Hendricks play Wonder Woman. I remember Woman. that. I remember that. I remember that. And he is at the time working on the Logan's Run remake, which didn't get made. <laughs> and then this is one of my favorites. It's like he's referring again that August is during, well, this is right before Drive is going to come out. He said, I'd love to make Wonder Woman. I also think Christina Hendricks would be the perfect Wonder Woman, but Warner Brothers haven't called yet. I think someone, <laughs> I think someone said to me in a meeting that if I get Logan's Run right, then I'll get Wonder Woman. And now, yeah, Refren is for like the next couple of months while he's promoting Drive, there's more talks of Christina Hendricks and Refren doing Wonder Woman. Yeah, I don't, I would have loved his Logan's run. (laughs) That sounds great, but. Yeah, unfortunately that, yeah. Uh, 2012, April, Joel Silver is out of his 25 year relationship with Warner Brothers. Oh, there we go. And so, so now he's released from Wonder Woman. May 4th, 2012, The Avengers is released, you know, to give you guys a time frame. Mm-hmm. June 6, 2012, Green Lantern, Green Lantern scribe Michael Goldberg is to pen Wonder Woman. At one point, he was hired to write Green Lantern 2, but, before, but that was before the movie came out <laughs> and now the sequel is scrapped. July 20th, 2012, The Dark Knight has come out and the CW... Dark Knight Knight Rises, excuse me. Dark Knight Rises comes out September 2012. The CW is doing another Wonder Woman origin series called Amazon, and they're going to do it like the Smallville approach this time, an origin story. That I very much imagine that one Joss Whedon scene uh, with the nerd (laughs) Amazon. Totally. (laughs) Did you look at it? (laughs) Talking about boys. (laughs) And then fast forward to 2013, January 2nd, 2013. Um, they started to release the, the, the roster for uh, Justice League. And it will, Henry Cavill will be Superman. Ryan Reynolds will be Green Lantern. And Wonder Woman will be in it. And a Martian Manhunter. And so that's when, you know, now we're starting to see that, hey, Wonder Woman's going to be in the new Justice League movie. 2013, Paul Feig pitches a Wonder Woman uh, light action comedy 
and it would be about Wonder Woman who keeps hitting the glass ceiling of the superhero world. She has to contend with male heroes like Batman and Superman who perhaps are not as forward-thinking regarding their female counterparts. See, that's a that's a that's an original movie. That's not yeah. with the DC yeah. characters. I would see yeah. that movie. It's or it's spy, the Harley Quinn animated series. It's spy. Exactly. He just that's Paul Feig just did that with spy. Or like yeah. it was a bad movie, but the but but something original like my super ex-girlfriend. Right. Right. or you know any of those yeah that's interesting and then uh december 4th 2013 gal gadot was announced that she's going to be in batman vs superman and that's where we kind of that's where i could kind of see the first official reveal that she's going to be in that movie yep. and then um yeah i mean we i'll just blow through this really quick um and then 2014th october the justice league they put out their um, release schedule, which is Batman vs. Superman and Suicide Squad in 2016, Wonder Woman and Justice League Part 1 in 2017, The Flash and Aquaman in 2018, Shazam and Justice League Part 2 in 2019, <laughs> and Cyborg and Green Lantern in 2020. Well... Some of those about things About a 50%, a 50% yeah. uh, <laughs> come to fruition, right? Well, yeah. Well, it's interesting now that they're, you know, going back and seeing there was going to be two parts of the Justice League and seeing how long this new Snyder cut is going to be. That is it both movies that were, you know, promised no, back it's, then? It's or not. It's, it uh, isn't? Well, you can <laughs> tell me. So, I, yeah. I don't. I, I think the plan was to do Justice League part two having having like the big bad dark side which is like the dc version of thanos uh but then i think the response to batman versus superman dawn of justice in 2016 and suicide squad in 2016 made warner brothers go nope it's just going to be the one movie so do everything you want to do in this one movie make the make the bad guy just the one bad guy even though the bad guy in the first justice league movie steppenwolf is just a stepping stone to dark side it would be as if avengers 3 the entire movie they're fighting um, that dude who looked like Squidward and that's it. And then we don't get Thanos <laughs> until Avengers four. So I think there's just a lot of course correcting happening in real time from 2016 to now. Uh, I think the 2013 with the release of man of steel, I remember there being questions to Warner brothers being like, well, you guys going to do other DC superheroes. And it was kind of half and half the, the, the filmmakers for man of steel being like, no, nah, we're really focusing on Superman because it made it seem as though they didn't have a plan to like incorporate any kind of universe, but they just had a one Superman movie produced by Christopher Nolan and directed by Zack Snyder. And the other half being like, well, we'll see if people really like it. Maybe this can go and turn into whatever, whatever. And then I think the sort of response to Man of Steel made them really pull the trigger and go, we got to get Batman in this thing. The sooner the Batman, the better, because uh, not enough people went to go see it. Not enough people are raving about it. It's not doing anything compared to the Marvel movies. Let's bring in Batman. Boom. Let's do this. Wow. Well, thank you for answering that. <laughs> I was looking at that. I was like, is that why this thing is so long that's coming out? Um, all right, we're getting there. Um, October 24th, 2014, Warner Brothers announces they're going to get a female director for Wonder Woman. And Kathleen, um, the, the girl oh. who, the woman that directed Twilight, Kathleen Hardwick. Hardwick, yeah. Mimi Lita of Deep Impact and The Peacemaker. Karen Kasama, Girl Fight. Um, and... Then November 2014, Michelle McLaren signs on to do, to do the Wonder Woman movie. Uh, and the studio did meet with Jennifer Kent of the Babadook as one of the contenders as well. December 4th, there was another writer that came on Wonder Woman, the guy who wrote Pan, uh, Jason um, uh, F-U-C-H-S. Fuchs, I think. There you go. I'm bad with names. 2015. And he retains, his name is still on somewhere on the... Yes, story by credit. Yeah. Okay. So now we see it getting speed. Uh, 2015 we are now in and we lose the director. Michelle McLaren leaves the project. And April 15th, will Angelina Jolie direct Wonder Woman or Captain Marvel? <laughs> And then Neither. that same day, that <laughs> was a trick. <laughs> because that same day, Patty Jenkins gets announced as the director, and that brings us up to date with the 
Wonder Woman movie. That buildup was so long and suspenseful, I was almost expecting it still didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> it's no. what it felt like to live through. Yeah, that, yeah. Movie, that, that movie we were all talking about was a dream. Yeah, insane. Well, thank you all so much like Did for it. all your time oh and all God. your Wonder Woman so knowledge. Unmade oh movies. Yeah, that was um, insane. Thank you so well, much for yeah. having us. Uh, can we get all of your social media handles again so people can follow you and hear all your witty, wonderful things you say after this? Sure. Yeah, I'm at Clark yeah. Wolf, Clark with an E, Wolf with an E on Instagram and Twitter. This was such a pleasure. I'm Amy Dallin at Enthusiamy everywhere. E-N-T-H-U-S-I-A-M-Y. Thank you guys so much for having us. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hector is funny. And you can find us also on Instagram and on Twitter at NeverMadeFilm. I also recommend that you download the Electric Now app, which is a free app that you can watch movies for free, TV shows for free, and more important, uh, old video or video of our older episodes. I don't know if they're putting the Zoom ones up. I don't know if that's particularly enjoyable to look at compared to the ones where we had our own studio that I'm so dying to get back into. Um, even though I hated driving all the way down there. The things you miss <laughs> in lockdown. Um, special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone at the Electric Surge Network, including Mark A. Altman and Dean Devlin, our two producers. Um, until next time, I am Josh Miller. Steven Scarlatta. And we will not see you at the movies. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.